Hi, this is Eric Anderson, pastor of Global Outreach Community Church. And you're listening to Your Life Matters to Christ podcast. Check out today's message. Well, Global Family, growing up, I used to hear the elder pastor say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So today, I want to encourage you to rejoice for today is the day that belongs to our God. Hey, I want to open today's message by praying for those who are filled with stress, fear, and anxiety. I've received so many text messages and emails from people who are just experiencing this fear due to this current season of life. And I want to encourage you today that the Bible is clear, 1 Peter 5, that we are to cast all of our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. So will you join me in the word of prayer? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the magnificent privilege and discipline of prayer. And we thank you that in times like these, we can engage you in prayer. You are not some distant, aloof God, but you are close and near that your ear is attentive to those who call on your name. So today we call on your precious name. Today, I want to specifically pray, God, for people who are experiencing fear and panic attacks, those who are down and depressed due to our current climate. I pray, God, that you would remind them that you are a present help in times of trouble. I pray that you would remind them that you are sure of all that is written in your word that your promises are everlasting. So would you remind them of your faithfulness? Would you remind us of daily provisions? Would you remind us that you promise never to leave us nor to forsake us? And Father God, would you remind us that you have given us the Holy Spirit? He is our comforter, our standby, our strengthener, our guide. He's our advocate. He's our lawyer. He pleads our case. And even when we can't pray to you, God, the Holy Spirit has a way of interceding on our behalf and taking our prayers up to you. So today, God, would you, through your Holy Spirit, continue to meet the needs of your people? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I did this the other day on a Zoom call. Why don't you do this? I can see you right where you are. Why don't you just celebrate God with a hand clap of praise right where you are in your living room, in your kitchen, in your office, in your car. We just want to celebrate God's goodness. We want to celebrate God for who he is. But then most of all, we want to celebrate God for all that he's doing in us and through us, even in this season. Well, today... We want to continue in our series of Living Above Mediocrity. And today's message may not be a feel-good message. I'm mindful of the fact that not every message is meant to feel good. I mean, the truth of the matter is, there are times that we are sick physically, and we take medicine. And the medicine is not always good but it's good for us. So today, we want to ask the Lord to give us some spiritual medication as we continue to strive in living above mediocrity, that we refuse to live a status quo type of life 
because God has more. So I want to invite you to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 10 through 12. Romans 14, 10 through 12. This pericope of scripture is nestled right in Romans chapter 14 where Paul literally deals with uh, relationships and judging. But today's message will really target us toward this idea of the accountability of the believer, that we are accountable as believers. So today, I really want to focus in on this idea of accountability toward God. And then next week, we will look at accountability towards people. So in Romans chapter 14, verse, let's back up to verse 9. Verse 9, Paul writes this to all those who are in Rome who are beloved by God and who are called by God. So in verse 9 of chapter 14, Paul says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, I love to underline and write in my Bible. Don't miss that. Paul says, underline and highlight this. For we will all, A-L-L, no one is exempt. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of you will give an account of himself to God. Highlight, underline. Don't miss that. All of us will experience it, a reckoning day before God. All of us will give a, an account or an account of ourselves before God. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to to love. Don't miss this. That if we're making judgment calls based off of someone who eats meat and someone who is a vegetarian and the argument is between eating meat or eating vegetables and we place a stumbling block in front of our brother, watch this. The brother's hurt and we are no longer walking in love. So Paul says in verse 15 at the end, do not destroy with food him for whom Christ died. Living above mediocrity. That means that we're living a different type of lifestyle. That we refuse to be like the majority. That we refuse to be like the in crowd. That we really understand we're not in a popularity contest. That we're not trying to gain two million Facebook likes by people. At the end of the day, we want our life, our service, and our works to speak 
for themselves as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So over the last few weeks, we looked at the idea of if we're going to live above status quo, live above mediocrity, it starts in our mind that we have to get our mind right. Our thinking has to be right. It starts with the transformational process that happens on the inside, that our minds have to be renewed, not according to ESPN, not according to CNN, not according to Fox, but according to the word of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. So we looked at this idea of Hey, it starts with your mind. We move from the mind to it will cost you a commitment. Luke chapter 14, that our priority in regards to our relationships, they start with Jesus Christ. He is the head of our life. And in Luke chapter 14, we looked at this idea with Jesus present, presented that, hey, you have to forsake your father, your mother, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and deny even your own self if you want to follow him. I mean, discipleship is tough. It's not easy. Hey, can I say it like we would say it in the streets? It's not for punks, right? That if you're going to follow and commit to a lifestyle that's pleasing to Jesus, it will cost everything. So we looked at the commitment. Then we moved from commitment to vision, seeing beyond the majority. Numbers chapter 13 and 14, that Caleb and Joshua, they did not fall prey to the 10 spies. The 10 spies saw the negative. Caleb and Joshua saw the positive. And in life, if you're going to live above status quo, you have to learn how to train your mind to see the solutions. Hey, that doesn't mean the problem doesn't exist. But in the kingdom of God, your God is bigger than your problem. So what problem are you facing today that you have made bigger than your God? I want to encourage you today. Never make your problem bigger than your God because your God will always be bigger than your problem. And because Caleb had a different spirit and because Joshua was committed to his convictions, they were able to see the promised land. And we talked about for the last two weeks determination that at some point in your life, in your ministry, in your career, in your calling as a father and a mother, you have to decide to hang tough. That even when life is hard and life seems unfair and people seem as if they are obtaining their vision and their dreams and their goals before you, that you just have to hang tough. That even when the storms of life hit you in the mouth, that you can take a lick and you can continue to move forward. So it means that you just learn how to hang tough. But today we want to talk about this unpopular term called accountability. See, I see you squirming already. No one likes that word accountability. We think that it's some filthy, dirty word, but accountability is a great word. So accountability, what does that mean? 
Here's a definition of accountability. Accountability is trusting your life to a few carefully selective people who you love. Not people that you dislike, but people who you love. And these people have the right to examine, to question, to appraise, and to give you counsel. That's called accountability, that you will allow people into your space of life, that you will allow people into some of those personal cracks and crevices to give you counsel. That even though it's hard and you may be embarrassed and it may be dark and ugly within that crack and crevice of your life, you still give people room to speak in love, not in judgment. So these people will hold your life in check. They will hold you in check and they will keep you from potentially destroying and harming your life. And that's why accountability is great. Accountability in biblical terms is being able to walk with a brother and sister and then allow them to sharpen your life according to the word of God and in prayer. That's accountability. But today we really want to lock in on being accountable to God. Let's look at the qualities involved in accountability. There's four qualities that I want to mention today. Four qualities. Here's number one. Vulnerability. Lowering your defensive walls, even if it means exposure to possible pain. That you are vulnerable enough that you will lower your defensive walls and you will become vulnerable for God to enter that space, to speak in a painful area of your life to bring healing. Or you will allow a loved one or a friend to speak into that space so you are vulnerable. Here's the second one, teachability. Teachability means that you are willing to learn no matter how difficult the assignment is. There are just some assignments that are difficult, that it takes time to unpack those assignments. In this season of life, it could be that God is calling you to unpack difficult assignments by being teachable. But will you listen as it relates to humbling yourself to become teachable? Here's a third quality. Availability. Being called night or day by God for God's assignment, God's purposes, and God's plan. Can you leave room in the margins for God to call you either in the night or in the day for his purpose and his assignment? And far too often, we are too busy. We are living a hectic lifestyle that God cannot interrupt our life for his divine assignments. And God is saying, will you be available to me and be accountable in this season of your life? Here's the fourth thing. Honesty. Honesty is simply being open to the truth, no matter how revealing or tough the truth is is 
And I don't know about you, but I want to be open to the biblical truth that's found in God's word. That as I walk through the word and as I study the word and as I eat the word and as I learn the word, I want the Holy Spirit to bring back biblical truth in my mind and in my heart that causes me to open up to hear what God has to say to me. I have to be honest with myself, but if I want to be accountable to God and accountable to people, I need to be honest with people. That I have to open myself up and be vulnerable, teachable, available, but also walk with some honesty in my life. So I love this quote. The quote says that Satan doesn't have to try to defeat us. We within the body of Christ are defeating ourselves. That every time we look around, we place too much blame on Satan. But it's not Satan who's always doing the work. Yes, I understand Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I understand that. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. But there are times in our life that we give the devil too much credit and too much blame. We are warring against one another in the body of Christ. So I believe here in Romans chapter 14, Paul is going to hopefully challenge and convict us to understand that Christians are at different spiritual levels. That we have diverse backgrounds, different perspectives, different practices, different attitudes based off of our upbringing and way of life. But despite our diverse backgrounds, despite our perspectives, despite our upbringing and way of life, God wants us to have biblical, godly relationships within the body of Christ. That our relationships should exemplify and reflect God's relationship with us. So can we walk in enough spiritual maturity to trust God in our relationships? So in Romans, the book of Romans, we have this, this, this letter that Paul is presenting to those in Rome. And he has addressed this letter to all in Rome who are loved by God and they are called to be saints. So in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11, Paul deals with doctrine, how we should think. But he turns the corner to chapter 12 through 15 and he deals with application. I've given you doctrine for 11 chapters. Now I want you to live this out in chapter 12 through 15. So in chapter 1 through 11, he deals with sin. He deals with salvation. He deals with justification. He deals with sanctification. And then he deals with this idea of God's sovereignty. But then he turns to chapter 12 through 15 and he talks about service. I've given you all this great theological treatise and doctrine. Now walk it out through your service. So in Romans chapter 14, Paul teaches us a great lesson on how we should live within the body of Christ as Christians in harmony. That we can agree to disagree and still walk together in love. So the first lesson that we're going to learn is that we are not to judge. That's God's job. It's God's job to judge us. Now, we can expect the fruit or inspect the fruit that's on the tree, but it's not our role and responsibility to judge. 
So Romans chapter 14, it is a clear message that we are to cultivate good relationships, stop judging one another, and we are to be accountable to God. That some Christians are weak. We don't judge them. Some Christians are stronger than others in other areas. We don't judge them. Why? Because both are accepted by God. And if God can accept the weak spiritual brother as well as the strong spiritual brother, we can accept both because both are accepted by God. So in Romans chapter 14, there's just some, some fuzziness, some gray areas, some subjects and issues that we can differ on, but we still can remain a part of the body of Christ. So if you're writing today, three things, three points I want you to write down. Here's the first one. We stand before the judgment seat of God when we enter heaven. Can I say that again? Paul is going to present this argument that the reason we shouldn't judge is because we, Paul included himself, we will stand before the judgment seat of God. So here's what he means. That we shouldn't judge, look down, reject, despise with contempt another person. That's not my job. My job is to do this. To make sure that I am not looking down in the condescending way of prejudging someone because they look different than me, they see things different than me, or they were raised different than me. I'm not improving my spiritual position because I'm judging someone else. I'm not approving my spiritual status because I can look down and point the finger at someone else in a condescending way. No. Here's the reason why I try my best not to do this as a pastor because I have enough dealing with myself that dealing with Eric James Anderson is a handful I guarantee you there are times that God will look at me and just shake his head I have enough with dealing with me so why would I judge someone else when I have enough on my plate in terms of allowing the Holy Spirit to dig in my life according to the word of God to bring me closer to God so Paul says we will all stand before the judgment seat why would we do that Let's go back to the biblical text. Paul says in verse 7, Not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he may be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And what Paul is saying is, it's not my role to judge. That's the Lord's role. Why? Because he died. He died for me. He died for the living as well as the dead. He died to pay the redemptive price of bringing us back to God. And because he died and he rose from the grave and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, it's not my role to judge those who may do things different than I do. Why? Because God knows their heart. God knows their intentions. I don't always see their intentions with the right perspective. So the judgment seat 
is a seat that we will all stand in front of. So hear me clearly. One day, we will have to give an account of our life on this side. And we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the, the Bamo seat. It has nothing to do with your eternal destination. It has everything to do with your rewards. That at the point where you trust Christ as Savior, your faith is settled in heaven. But when you stand before the judgment seat, your service on earth will be in review. It's almost like you have this camera and God is saying, here's your service. Here's your actions. Here's your words. I'm going to evaluate you. And based off of my eternal evaluations, your awards will be determined in heaven. Your rewards or your lack thereof will be based off the quality of your Christian life and service as you are on earth. It's the judgment seat. So I don't want to judge anybody because one day I will stand before the judgment seat. Listen, the judgment seat is inevitable, but it's inescapable that I have to give an account of my stewardship. Here's the second thing. We are accountable to God for our actions. Don't miss that. We are accountable to God for our actions. It's back in the Bible. Verse 11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. He's saying, stop judging. Moving forward, don't judge. Why is he saying this? In the context, the believers are judging based off of who eats meat and who doesn't eat meat. Who values one day as every day to God and a person that values one day as a separate day. And Paul is saying this, whether you eat meat and you are spiritually mature or you choose to eat vegetables and you're considered spiritually mature, both of you are accepted at the table. Did you hear me today? That at the point where I place my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, that I'm accepted at the table. Thank God that God can call me and accept me at his table. So we are accountable to God for our actions. You've heard the expression, we judge ourselves by our intent, but we judge others by their actions. Well, both of those statements, they are not true. You're not in a position to judge either. So what God is basically saying through this biblical text, I believe, is that we need to start honoring one another. That honoring involves treating every person as a encounter in a separate situation and as individuals having the willingness to listen and learn from another person's 
perspective. And when I learn from another person's perspective and upbringing and way of life, that will caution me on how I view them, how I see them, and that will help me to see them through the eyes of the Lord Savior, Jesus Christ, although our opinions are different. So I love this in the text. The example, one man, man in the text is eating meat. He's eating spare ribs. He's eating chicken. He's eating a T-bone steak. But the other man in the text, read it in Romans chapter 14, chooses to eat celery, broccoli, asparagus. Hey, God is not concerned with that. But what he's concerned with is will you remain fast to your biblical convictions, to what is important to you by way of scripture, whether you are spiritually mature or immature, can you still honor and value people and still remain fast to your biblical convictions? So here's another main thought I believe that Paul pushes in the text is that each person should be fully convinced and convicted in his own mind by examining his heart to make sure that you are doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord. So how well are you doing at examining your heart in this season? Are you slowing down long enough? To get into the quiet moments of the day. To ask the Lord to examine your heart. God, what's in my heart that's not pleasing to you? God, what's in my heart that is defaming the name of Christ? God, what's in my heart that's causing me to speak in such a way that it brings dishonor and shame to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God wants to, because God wants to draw us closer to him, we got to be careful how we defame his name. So I want to make a few suggestions as we go to our next point. Here's a few suggestions I want to make. Learn how to welcome people with your open arms. Don't jump all over them every time they do something or say something that you disagree with. It's okay to disagree with them. But your biblical mandate is to love them with the love of Jesus Christ. Whether they have strong opinions or not. You are to love them based off the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus died for all of us. So as individuals, we're accountable to God. One day we will stand before the judgment seat. Secondly, we're accountable to God for our actions. And here's the last thing. We are accountable to God for our words. Turn with me. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. I love this. I mean, this is convicting to me. I've been convicted by Matthew chapter 12 all week in terms of my words. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. Jesus says this. The good man brings out of his good treasures what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasures what is evil. But I say to you that every careless word, stop, underline, highlight every careless word. Don't move too fast 
that you missed that. Jesus says for every careless word that people speak, underline speak, is careless and you're speaking it. They should give an accounting, underline accounting, that participle, I-N-G. That means continuation, that you will give an accounting for in that day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. I mean, think about it. Jesus says treasure. That refers to the person's inner self. That as individuals, we are responsible for our actions and our words, which will condemn or acquit us on the judgment day. That every word spoken is a word that is reflective of what's going on in your heart. And God knows what is going on in your heart. And I tell people this, that if you're wondering what's going on inside a person, hang around them long enough, lean in and listen to the words. Because the words that are coming out of their mouth, most of the time, are words that are germinating in their heart. And our words are critically important to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, our words are so important that God will hold us accountable for our words on judgment day. Every insignificant word, every careless word that was uh, spoken, that came out of our heart, we will be held accountable for. Why? Because words are powerful. Then you have to take your words seriously. That words can control your salvation, but words can also control your damnation. Did you hear that? Salvation and damnation. That whatever is going on in your heart personally, listen to your words that come out of your mouth. And when you slow down to listen to what's coming out of your mouth, it would be an indicator of what's happening in your heart. So as I close, I remember transferring into Sam Houston State University. And I was transferring into Sam Houston State from Coffeyville Community College. And when I enrolled in Coffeyville Community College to play football, man, I said, I gotta get after it. The first semester I took 21 hours. Second semester, 18 hours. Third semester, 21 hours. I graduated in a year and a half with a GPA over 3.5. Let me pat myself on the back. Good job, Anderson. Thank you. Listen, that's how you talk to yourself. I graduated with 3.5. And I earned a scholarship to play football at Sam Houston State. So when I got to Sam Houston State, it was mandatory it was mandatory that every freshman and every transfer attend mandatory study hall for the first semester. So I was doing good for the first four or five weeks of the football season. And all of a sudden, my head just blew up. I was doing well in my classes. I transferred in with a 3.5 GPA. At the end of the semester, I made the all-academic team. But midway through the semester, I asked myself this question. Why do I need to go to study hall? So one day, I made the decision not to show up. But I forgot that they were taking role 
at study hall. And here's what I did. Instead of going to study hall, I went back to the room and we had a Tecmo Bowl tournament. Most of y'all too young to even know about Nintendo Tecmo Bowl. It was like 12 football players, big old dudes. We're in the room and we're having a Tecmo Bowl party. A Tecmo Bowl tournament. Pizza, chips, soda, everything is everywhere. And I forgot to show up to study hall. But lo and behold, coach obtained that roll sheet. And a few days later, coach called me, Anderson, I need to see you. I showed up to coach's office and coach was behind his desk in his chair and he took out the roll sheet. Anderson, last Tuesday, you did not show up to study hall. It's mandatory. So based off of your actions, there are consequences. I need you to show up to the 5 a.m. Running Institute. Here's the 5 a.m. Running Institute. I had to get up on a Wednesday morning, show up to Bowers Stadium in Huntsville, Texas on the campus of Sam Houston State University to run the stadium. Now, when we ran, we would have cinder blocks. I won't expose you, coach, because I don't want you to get in trouble, but we would have cinder blocks in our hands, and we would have to run with the blocks over our head. And coach ran us until we could not run anymore. And when we were done, I was upset with coach. I was mad. How dare you make me show up at 5 a.m. to run? Do you know who I am? I have a 3.5 GPA. At the end of the semester, coach, I'm going to make the all-academic team. Do you know who I am? I'm number 10 on the football team. I'm the bandit. Coach simply said, but you are accountable for your actions. Come close today. God is our spiritual head coach. And what he is saying is one day you will stand before the judgment seat and be held accountable for your words as well as your actions. So watch how you treat people in this season. Watch how you honor or dishonor people in this season. Watch how you drag someone's name in the mud. Watch the post and the comments that you make on social media because that very post and comment could be the very post or comment that hurts or harms a brother or sister within the body of Christ. Make no mistake about it. You will get into heaven and you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you will be accountable to the righteous judge for your words and for your actions. Reckoning day will come. So why not stand before God in such a way that God will honor you with rewards because you honored him on earth. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we are not the righteous judge. Thank you that the judge himself, Jesus Christ, he is now seated at your right hand. And because of his death on the cross, his redemptive act of bringing us back to you, he has the seat of honor. And God, we want to honor you by laying our life down for our brothers and sisters. God, we want to honor you by the way that we treat and love one another. God, we simply want to honor you by the words that come out of our mouth. So God, I'm praying for myself personally, for a strong conviction by the Holy Spirit that when I speak and do things that are dishonorable to your name, convict me. But God, that same prayer, I pray for your people. That when we fail you by way of our words and our actions, convict us and draw us closer to you through the Holy Spirit in such a way, God, that we can now stop dishonoring people and start giving glory and fame to your name. So God, take this word, seal it in our hearts, that we be the better for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And he desires a relationship with you. But sin separates you. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That sin keeps you from experiencing the fulfilling life that God intends for you. That you are eternally separated from God. But I have good news. Jesus rescues you. Jesus offers you peace with God and relationship with him. Through faith in Jesus, you can experience God's love daily. So our question today is, will you trust Jesus by placing your faith in him as your savior? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for sending your son to die for my sins. I ask that you will forgive me of my sins. Today, I confess Jesus as my Savior. I place my faith in Him. Lord, I surrender my life to You. I ask that You, Lord, would be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision to trust Christ as Savior, please email us at info at globaloutreachcc.org. Thank you for listening to Your Life Matters to Christ podcast. Here at GOCC, we are growing and doing great things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to support us or get plugged into what we're doing, visit globaloutreachcc.org. And remember, your life matters because it matters to Christ.